So back in the 90s, there was a sitcom called Nurses, right. which was a spinoff of a spinoff of the Golden Girls. Of the palace? Of the hotel uh, one? No. no. Oh, Empty Nest. Yeah, it was, but not even. It was actually called Nurses, and it was a funny show about nurses. This is not that. No, I'd much rather watch that. Yes, anything than be. That. If this was well done, but oh man, did it fuck me up. Hi, Jillian Benzavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. Girl, there's breaking news. Tell them what's happening. Breaking news. Brand new merch is coming your way Friday, April 21st. We've got all kinds of designs. We've got not a cult. We've got this all over pattern. It looks kind of like a LuLaRoe design. Uh-huh. That's yes. going on like bags and stuff. Right. With uh, like lots of rainbows and unicorns on it. And so. our faces and martini and our glasses. Faces. We're bringing back not a mother. We've got a whole brand new design for Don't Be Garbage. Yep. And we also have this. You know how you're the founding member and president of the Always at 100 committee? There's something about that. So if you also feel like you're a founding member and president of the Always at 100 committee, that's for you. Yeah, so that when's it dropping? Friday, April 21st. Okay, and we've day. got a two-week window, fam. That's it. We're not leaving this open forever like we've done in the past. Yeah. Two weeks to get your merch. Yeah, so keep your eye on our socials. Yeah. We'll let you know all about it. And so then, yeah, truecrimeobsessed.com slash merch, and there you go. All right, we Enjoy. love you. Also, fam, come to Obsessed Fest October 20th to the 22nd in Dallas, Texas. Tickets are going fast. We are announcing more and more and more people. People who weren't there last year who are coming, Roberta Bell. Yes. from the LuLaRoe documentary yep. doing a whole thing on cults. Yep. Also, Shayna Landry from I Just Killed My Dad, the series that we did on the Pates. Yeah. She's the genetic genealogist. She's coming. She's going to do genetic genealogy in real time. Yeah, uh, yeah, we... we Yes, yes, we're very excited. That's all I'm going to say. Also, Tara Newell, who is responsible for the demise of Dirty John. Yes. Collier Landry, yep. the Wine and Crime Gals. These are all new guests. That's in addition to Bob Ruff and Rabia. Yes. And all of the other amazing people who were there last year who were all coming back. Hell of a party. It's Sounds like a hell, hell of a party. party. I'm RSVPing, yes. Thank you so much. You're welcome. ObsessedFest.com. Get your tickets. Okay, see you there. Girl, what are we talking about today? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So many things. Capturing the Killer Nurse on Netflix is the name of the doc. It's terrifying. It's horrifying. I hate this piece of shit. Also, very well done. Incredibly well done. Very moving. Like, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It made me feel things. What's captivating? Is that the word? I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot going on here. The idea that a nurse might be killing patients was very disturbing. There's no eyewitnesses. There were no cameras. Medical homicide, they're tough cases to prove. I walked in on him murdering someone. I felt like I was helping people. This whole thing takes place in Somerville, New Jersey. We meet, like, our main talking head. Her name is Amy. She's a nurse. She was a single mom with two daughters. She started working at Somerset as a critical care nurse. Right. We meet another nurse. Her name is Donna. Donna describes herself as young, energetic, a little on the hyper side. Donna, welcome. Listen, one of the older nurses forbid her from having coffee. She banned her from the coffee station. I was like, what's everyone? Like like two weeks ago, I drank a Red Bull the size of my head. Uh I don't know that I do great as an ICU nurse if that's not allowed. Well, no, but no. But the point is, (laughs) these people are heroes. Like, these nurses are heroes. God. They loved protecting these people. They deal yes. with death. They do the stuff that no one else wants to do. And they and someone says, we step in front of the face of danger. And that's 100% true. Exactly. And so this is where we learn about Charlie. So it was Charlie, Donna, and Amy. They were like the three musketeers. Charlie was the best teammate. I loved working with him. He was an excellent nurse. And he 
always had a way of saying something that would make me laugh. He could also make people laugh, which is so valuable. Like in the fucking ICU, Jesus. Yeah. Can I just say now he's also a mass murderer? Yes. <laughs> can I just get that out of the way so we can start calling yeah. him the killer? This is not a shock. This no. guy is a mass murderer. Right. But they worked, these three work together all the time. This Somerset Hospital has a pamphlet. Yeah. And they decide they're going to do like the show the faces of the people who work there. Yeah. And they quote Charlie, who says this like beautiful thing about loving to work for the hospital. Right. And he took like pride in being the face of the hospital. Right. And that's great. There's, um, <laughs> I mean, it's great till it wasn't. Sure, yeah. it never was. No. Like, that's all bullshit. He's yeah. a liar. But they're sort of like romanticizing this photo yeah, of him. Yeah, it's not like a great photo. It's not like a great photo, but no. they're sort of, but I, I mean, I guess because they knew him and loved him and now he turned out to be a monster. So when you look back on that, you're yeah. like, I liked that photo. But also Amy, not only did she want to be the protector for the nurses, she felt like she wanted to be a protector for Charlie because she felt like he'd been bullied his whole life. Right. And also like he helped her out sometimes, which we'll get to. Yeah. They just had a very, very close, close, close relationship. And she thought it was great. Yeah. And you have to have a close relationship like that. They explain when you're like working in critical care, you're relying on it. You're saving lives. And no one else, but the people who are in it with you can possibly understand exactly. So you form that bond, right? So now we meet Lucille Gall, and she's the brother of Father Gall, and she's explaining that she and her brother were very close, and he called her one day, and he needed to go to the hospital, and he becomes serious very quickly. Yeah, and he's a priest, just so it's not like how we say, like, Sister Kathy. Right, no, 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 not like my dad Gall. Right. Like, father, like, (laughs) actual Father Gall. He went to seminary. Yeah, he he always wanted to do that, and he did it, and everyone loved him, and he went to the ER because he was having trouble breathing. He was really short of breath. But then he was, like, intubated very quickly, so it goes from like short of breath to intubated like very fast and he was there for a long time yeah but after a while he starts getting better he had actually been moved from one area of the icu over to the ccu i was shocked when i heard he coded and died because he was doing better But then all of a sudden he's dead. He codes and he dies. And Amy is just saying that she was shocked because he was getting better. Now we're on hold with the New Jersey Poison Control Center. Excuse me, they put (laughs) you on hold when you call poison control? (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's a a very good hire more operators. Like your call is very (laughs) important to us. Can we talk about Dr. Bruce Rock, who I love? I <laughs> love him. Dr. Bruce is just I love this guy, too. He's, and I think we get the real phone calls. I think so, too. I mean, I think it would take a very special kind of person to work at poison control. Yes. You've got to be calm and in control. This is not a place I would thrive. I no. would not be good. I think my annual reviews would not be off the charts. Yeah, no, 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 no. And he's, like, funny, but he doesn't mean to be funny. So, like, he's a charming guy, this yeah. Dr. Rock. So a nurse is called calling because she, quote, wants to investigate a toxicity that occurred in a patient. She's talking about Father Gall. Exactly. Right? So she's asking about digoxin. So this digoxin is used to treat heart failure. It makes your heart beat stronger. But the higher the level, the slower your heart rate, to which Dr. Bruce says, and then you die. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Give it to us straight, Dr. Bruce. And he does. So the issue is that this patient, Father Gall, hadn't received their dose of digoxin in two days. Right. But the level is continuing to climb for some reason. 
and that shouldn't be happening. And Dr. Because that, Bruce that's is impossible like, to have. It'd be like, I haven't had a cheeseburger in two days, but my level of cheeseburgers is continuing to increase. It's not. It's not possible. You're eating cheeseburgers. Like right. you're getting. Right. Che- you're right. adjusting Somebody cheeseburgers. Somebody is sneaking you cheeseburgers without telling everybody else. That's like the story of every dog right. <laughs> ever. Like I don't know what happened with the cheeseburger. It was there. Now it's gone, and I don't know anything about that. But Dr. Bruce, though, then just out of the clear blue sky says, "Any chance you've been having problems with hypoglycemia in your ward?" Off the record, there were two people in the hospital before this that went hypoglycemic really strangely. Uh-huh. And we were starting to panic. I'm going to put it right on your hands. You now have a police matter. What he's saying is somebody is injecting your patients with this digoxin because this is what happens when you right. do that. Yeah. And so, like, Dr. Bruce just thinks that, like, I'm going to tell you you got a police matter, and now you're going to call the cops. Right. That's not what happens. We go from lab era to police right. matter in two seconds. <laughs> but, like, and, and he's so calm and matter of fact about it, and he knows it so automatically. I'm like, does this happen every day? I think he's just smart. He's a toxicologist. Yeah. Like they, that's, like, what they need to know. Oh, my God. On the off chance they're going to use it, right. they can just <laughs> get it like that. Yeah. So two days later, Dr. Bruce says, hey, Nance, Nurse Nancy, just checking in. Yeah, just checking in. So you called the authorities? Because I need to get to the bottom of this. Now, I'm wondering, is this, this is probably a very obvious answer. Is this like a HIPAA thing? Like, can he not call the cops? Well, that's the question, because he doesn't call the cops. He calls the hospital back asking if they've called the cops. He doesn't get Nancy the nurse. No. He gets some hospital administrator who's like, I can't really tell you anything except, no, we haven't called the cops, and now I've said too much. Right. But what who we did call were our lawyers. Yes. Right. So they've taken over the investigation, and Dr. Bruce goes this phone call. Is so great. He's like, were the cops called? Right. And the guy goes, no. And then there's a beat, and it's like, I've said too much. Click. Right. I mean, honest, but this is where we get, like, hospitals are for-profit entities. Yeah. Like, and, and they are billion-dollar corporations, and it shouldn't fucking be that no, way. No. But of course, like, you were the guy who said you got a police matter at your multi-billion-dollar company. Right. Of course you're going to get shut out. Of course. So, enter Tim Braun and Danny Baldwin. They're yeah. the cops on the case, yeah. right? So, I'm chuckling because they've got this thing figured out in two minutes. Right. But then it takes them like months and months and months to make everybody around them believe that they know what's happening. Right. Or to be able to like bring this to a jury with actual evidence. Exactly. So Tim is the commander. And Danny Baldwin is the lead detective. And so when this all happened in like 2003, he was the new guy on the force. He really wanted to do a good job, really wanted to prove himself. We weren't exactly invited into a meeting. We were ordered into a meeting. I felt tension in the air. I realized that I was sitting in the presence of high-ranking members of the Somerset Medical Center. The administrators, along with their legal team, had been looking into the deaths of several patients. And they learn that, like, the administrators and the legal team are, like, looking into this, but they're not being very forthcoming with what they're finding, and they're kind of stonewalling. And the cop's point of contact is Mary in risk management, which can't be a Mary good sign. Mary Lund, L-U-N-D. Yeah, call Tell me up. this woman is in prison for the rest of her fucking I mean, life. and risk, it's like, let's put you in touch with risk management. That, to me, screams, we gotta throw this, we gotta swipe this under the rug, exactly, you know? Exactly, like, you would think that risk management applies to, like, risk management for the patients, but no, it's risk management to the hospital. Right, So the investigation starts. It's day one of the police investigation. The cops want all the information that the hospital knows. Like, okay, you guys have been talking about this, right? And investigating this internally. Right. So why don't you give us what you have? Now, Danny and Tim are expecting like three boxes of files, right? right? No. They get a two-page memo from the lawyer saying, nothing to see here. Nothing suspicious at all. But the document mentions one name in particular. Charles Cullen. Yes. The killer. 
So the lawyer is using the killer as a source. We spoke. Charles told me everything was fine. Everyone shut up and go away. We're too busy here. Now, the thing to put a pin in here, at least to really notice, is that the hospital administration really only cites this one person. And, like, they know his name. There's a reason they know his name. Right. And we'll come back to that. So the cops are like, all right, we got a name. Let's do a background check. Yeah. Why not, right? So in this background check, they find that he's been arrested twice, once for drunk driving and once for criminal trespassing, right. which is also kind of like, those aren't insignificant charges. This happened in Pennsylvania. So they call like the Pennsylvania cops and the guy who answers the phone is like, that's so weird that you're calling about this guy. Apparently attached to the report, there was a stick'em note. And that uh, little stick'em note indicated that a few months earlier, Pennsylvania State Police had requested basically the same information I was seeking about Cullen. There's a, quote, stick'em note. Okay, we have reached... <laughs> it's stick'em time, everybody. <laughs> stick'em o'clock. Now, Tim calls it a stick'em. Yeah, it's a post-it. With all the seriousness in the world. I yes, know. it's actually a post-it. I kind of like it because this stick'em is going to blow the roof off this whole case. It's true. So I'm not going to shit talk. I think it's a cute little I way did, to say something. That's fine, but I've literally never heard the word stick'em in I've my life. never you know, heard like, it. With, like the things that go on ice cream, they're like jimmies or sprinkles. They're sprinkles. Some place they call them shots, but you've at least heard of I'm the sorry, other thing. Some place they call them what? Shots. Yeah. They're sprinkles. I, I agree, but you've heard of jimmies, yes, right? Yes, of course, of course. I've, like, you know it as a post-it note. I've never heard it called a stick-up note. No. Stick-up. No, no, no. And like, you have to spell it with the E-M, you know what I mean? Right. No, no, no. Apostrophe E-M, which is how I wrote it in my notes 50,000 times. But the stick-up is going to bring him down. I know. But the person, like at the Pennsylvania Police Department or whatever. It's the Pennsylvania State Police. You're exactly right. They're just saying like, it's so weird because somebody just called about this guy a couple months ago and we like took his information on this stick-up note and like put it inside his file. We're going to use stick-up forever now. I know. That's just it. That's, That's where we are now. You know what? It's the Gail, new can thing. Can you order some more stick-up notes for yeah. the office, please? No, we only have a post-it. Oh, then fuck it, then. This is the you new Coke-Pepsi debate. Fuck it. Can I have a stick-em? No, we no. only have Pepsi. Is that, no, we only have post-its. Is that okay? No. Stick-em or bust. Stick-em or I am walking. Oh, my God. So, the thing is, everyone, pay attention because it's possible. New Jersey calls Pennsylvania. Fuck jurisdiction. Exactly. Now they all get in touch and they're like, why is everyone calling about this guy? What's going on? Yeah. It turns out, in Pennsylvania, the killer was, quote, stockpiling medication at St. Luke's Hospital. Yeah. Why? We're going to get the obvious answer to this eventually, but it's like... When you have that kind of misconduct at a hospital, how on earth are you not, the cops not being called and you're being arrested right there? Right, right. So the Jersey cops are have to race the clock now. Right. Because they know he's doing bad shit. He's still around patients. If he's not a murderer, he's a, he's like a danger to people. So at, yeah, at best- selling drugs. I mean, it could be anything. Like at best, he's shady. At right. worst, he's a murderer. And they tell us too, like at this point, they're like on the slide interviewing his friends and family. We learned uh, that Charles Cullen was a very smart individual. A loving father cared about his kids. While they did not know the scope of our investigation, they did not appear surprised that we were knocking on their door uh, talking about him. Amy's talking about this guy like the sweetest fucking kid she's ever met. Right. Meanwhile, the whole family's like been waiting for the cops to show up for 20 years. I guess when you're in the trenches like that in the hospital yeah. and you're working 12, 13, 14 hour shifts, like that's kind of all you know of and a person. Also, when you're like a diabolical monster, you right. put on the face you need people to see. Right, because he was funny and well-liked. Exactly, because you know, that's they the way all? he's getting his murder drugs. Right. So they learn... 
He was very smart. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, loving father, to which I say, no, he has kids. I know. He's around kids. He's around humans. He's I around, know. He's around living creatures at all, this guy. And it's weird. Like, we have this interview with him, and they use it throughout, but, like, we get a little bit of, like, he never liked who he was, okay. and his, like, his mother was his protector, and then his mother died, and he had a lonely childhood. Fuck you. You're yeah. a fucking monster. Yeah, join the club of people who, like, have shit to unpack from their childhood. Honestly, and when okay. you find out, honestly, that, like, a person in your life is doing animal torture, we know what that means. Yeah. Is it, there should be a pipeline for like how you get help for those people or at very least get them off the street. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, you know how I feel about this. What, yeah. am I going to argue with you? Well, I, actually. I <laughs> so back with nurse Amy. Yeah. Amy's really going through it. She's been diagnosed with cardiomyopathy and she explains it and it sounds terrifying. Like she would feel like her heart was going to jump out of her chest. Like her heart rate would be 180. Yeah. And like more than that, like apparently this can kill you. Yeah. But I didn't want anyone to know that I was that sick. I was worried about not being able to pay my bills, not being able to have insurance. And the only way that we were able to have insurance was through our jobs. If she loses her job, she loses her health insurance, and also, am I going to die? She's really going through it. she's scared it. about her kids, like, yeah. who's going to take care of her kids? And, and like, so... one night, Charlie sort of sees her, and I was like, girl, what is happening? The whole time I thought Charlie was gay. I'm, I'm just going to say it. Oh, okay. They talk about him, like, the way that women talk about their gay best friends. Oh, interesting. You know what I mean? The whole time I'm, like, I'm writing about him, like, he's talking like me. Uh-huh. He's like, girl, what's going right. on? And, and she confides in him. Yes. Which is, like, she's the only person at work, because, again, she's scared about losing her job and her insurance. And it's a big secret. Like, if she, if he were to say something, Something. She could lose her job, like whatever. But that night, he appears, he like puts her in a room. He's like covering shifts for her. Like he's really helping her but out. But he also comes back to this room that she's in with like a handful of this drug called Cardison, which okay. I'm just like, she didn't ask any questions and he didn't say how he got it, but he just gives it to her. Yeah. And she's saying, like, I was having a medical emergency. I needed help. Like yeah. I trusted him. She did, like, now she feels really guilty for not second guessing it in the moment. Yeah. Or well, noticing that it was weird. We'll learn there are a lot of moments where people don't ask questions and they should ask and Amy is the first to take responsibility. Right, right. But also they tell us throughout that Charlie just knew more about medication than anybody else they knew. By design. And, right. But like in the time you're thinking wow he's just like a really good nurse he really cares about yeah. this. But in retrospect like he was an expert on medication. Right. Right. So investigation day nine the cops are putting together a timeline of the killer's career. And it's wild. We see this resume in all different forms throughout. He has worked at a, it turns out he's worked at nine hospitals and a nursing home. I mean. He, and like he's like every time he moves a job it's not because he quit. He gets fired for doing shady shit that people should have asked questions or about. Or he's moved around and I was just like oh I just kept thinking of all the priests. I know. But you that's know? The, I mean you can't not thing. make that parallel. It's it is this, the same like, thing. Like just someone being like oh that's weird we're for profit we don't want we, no one wants to be known as the murderer hospital. Well, and it takes too long for this documentary to make this point. You're thinking like, you are a hospital. You care about people. If you find out that your nurse is either killing people or doing shady shit, you like turn them in. And no, of course they, I mean I say of course in air quotes. Sure. Of course they don't because everyone is afraid of being labeled the murder hospital. Yeah. Can you imagine like if like, any local hospital in New York City was like that's where the murder nurse worked? No one would ever go to that hospital again. No. So like for a murderer who has a pathological need to kill people, it's a perfect environment. Right. 
because he knows he can murder and get away with it. And not only are they moving him, they are like letting him go and giving him good references. They just want him off their books at all costs. Which I think, I, I, I mean. I mean, all of these people should be fucking rotting in prison for the true. rest of time. No one is safe. Well, they're going back through his resume and they learn about this incident at a place called Warren Hospital. Back in the 90s. Back in the 90s. And it, this woman named Helen Dean, she had a son named Larry Dean. And like, apparently Helen and Larry are very close. Larry never married. He like was super close with his mother. Right. They lived together. They were the best of friends. They were the best of friends. So Helen is about to be discharged from the hospital. It's a pretty routine procedure. She was going to leave and then get some rehabilitation and then go home. Like this is pretty standard. Yeah. But before she goes off to the other facility, Charles the killer walks into her room. Now her son Larry is in the room and Charles asks him to leave. Right. The male nurse pulled the curtain around her and Larry's out at the nurse's station and he heard her holler, ouch. He went into the room. The male nurse came running out and he said to his mother, what happened? She said, he stuck me with a needle. And Helen says, Larry, this guy just stabbed me with a needle. Yeah. And lucky for all of us, Larry carries a Swiss army knife at all times. Larry, just to take a quick detour, Larry sounds like an absolute character. Like a delight. Like an absolute delight. And I'm sure he was like, this is why I carry the Swiss army knife. Everyone would make fun of me. <laughs> and the point of the Swiss army knife is that he uses the magnifying glass exactly. on the Swiss army knife. You know he's used that same magnifying glass to start a fire at least five for, or six times. But also for everything where it's Don't like, oh, what is that? Say? No, I got it. Like any, any excuse you can always to count on Lair. the Swiss army knife, yeah. which I love. Because uh, in too. this case, like, it's really working out. I mean, terribly, but yeah. at least we're getting to the bottom of it. Totally. So he uses the magnifying glass and he sees this mark on her inner thigh. Yeah. And it's clear that the killer has injected Helen with something. And what is so enraging about this is that Larry, so Helen's been injected. She's now going to the rehab facility. Larry's going home to get her slippers and he's going to meet her there. Right. He walks in the door to get the slippers and the phone rings and it's the rehab facility saying, like, your mom was dead on arrival. Oh, my your God. Mother who was fine 45 minutes ago. Who was making like the next progress step yeah. in her recovery. Right, because I mean, the, my, my mom has gone through this three or right. four times as well. You go to the rehab facility as like the waylay before the going middle, home. Yeah. yeah, right. She's now dead. Larry is devastated. He's beside himself. He goes to the cops. To report that his mother was murdered. And Larry knew in his heart and his soul that this man who was in her room, who she identified before she died as the man giving her a lethal injection. He knows that the male nurse has done this to his mother and no one takes him seriously. Right. So he goes to the prosecutor's office. Yeah. And they find no foul play because the talk screen didn't show anything. Now, it turns out... Oh, my God. They tested for every drug on earth except for one. Did It just occurred to me, do you think that was on purpose? I don't know. Like, do you think if this know. hospital knows what this fucking dude was up to and they just didn't screen for the one thing they knew he used to it's kill people? It's weird that that's like the one thing they wouldn't screen Especially for, right? Especially because they say they screened for every drug under the sun. Right. It'd be one thing if they were just looking for a handful of things to rule out. Uh -huh. But if they, if they just ran a fucking scan of every drug and that's the one? I just thought it was like red tape bullshit. Well, I, like, it just I occurred to me now. Huh. 
Well, that's even more terrifying than I, I thought. I mean, honestly. So the case was closed because there's no evidence, apparently. And after this, what they just keep calling an incident, like, no, it's a fucking murder. Yeah. The killer checks himself into a mental health facility. Which, like, if anybody was tracking this guy's movements after being fired for all the shady shit that he'd done, that's significant. Right. You know? And they let him out. Yeah. And what they say essentially is, and I'm paraphrasing here, like, he was a total bummer. Right. Your total run-of-the-mill mediocre white guy, but he's not a threat. Like, he just annoyed us because he was so like down all the time. Uh-huh. But like he's he can like be out into the world. Well, and we that's hear, what they said, right? And we hear him in his own interview to the cops saying, "I didn't want to be a nurse anymore after this, but I was told I'd be a deadbeat dad." Like I guess he and his wife are separated, and he's got to pay child support, and it's the only job he can do. But he says, "I knew that if I was placed in these situations, that I would feel the need." to to end suffering. I would feel the need to end suffering. This is his line, and it's total bullshit bullshit that he was like a mercy killer, that he was out there ending suffering. That that fucking woman was on her way home. And the trend is that we'll learn that everyone seems to be making a turn for the better. Right. And then this asshole walks in and is a murderer. So he goes back to work at Warren Hospital where he just murdered somebody. Yeah. That's where he goes. So now we meet Charles, who's the author of the book this doc is based on and guy who probably says, well, actually a lot. A million percent. He's also filming his interview in an empty bar. Well, because, which I loved. But what happens, he says this thing. He's like, look, most of us are born in hospitals. We're all going to die in one. We usually spend some time in between. And I'm like, Charles, you're at a bar. Have a drink. Like I. Lighten up, Charles. But but everything he says is accurate. Well, because what he's here to tell us is that the way of life of nurses is transient. So, like, if you're a killer and you want to come and go from hospital to hospital and murder people, it's a perfect career path for you because people are not used to seeing the same faces all the time. Right. They're used to not seeing the same faces all the time. You can be, you like, join a nurse staffing agency and go to different hospitals all the time. Right. Like, it's just, like, there's always been a nursing shortage and uh-huh. it, it's a perfect way of life for somebody who's a monster who wants to kill people. And on top of that, the profits and no one wanting to be the murder hospital, you add those two things and it's a perfect place for him to thrive. I just don't understand how everything in the world is regulated except for fucking hospitals. You know what I mean? Now that we know this is the problem, how is this not fixed? I think it has been fixed at the end. Did you watch the on-screen text? I watched, I stopped writing because it was like eight pages of Screenshots, baby. I know. Get that screenshot line. I know. But I mean, like, if it's fixed in New Jersey, it's not fixed everywhere. Yeah, it's gotta be fixed. The point is, it's gotta, we gotta do better. I mean, the whole system, like, it shouldn't be a for-profit system. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, it's really bad. So it's investigation day 17. The cops need more than rumors. They know he's a danger to society, but the prosecutor's office needs evidence. And then we learn how, and I quote, Medical homicides are a bitch to work. They're tough cases to prove. There's no eyewitnesses. There were no cameras. And we did not have any crime scenes that were preserved. Medical homicides are a bitch to work. (laughs) And when they explain it, you're like, holy shit, they are. Well, because there's no witnesses, there's no crime scenes. How can you fucking prove anything? Exactly. And the hospital is not helping at all. They're actually destroying evidence. Exactly. And also, we're learning from Amy and Donna, the other nurses, that around this time working with Charlie, they're starting to notice that all their lab results are all off. Uh Everything is all fucking weird. And they assume it's, to quote our best friend, Dr. Bruce, lab era. It's not lab era. (laughs) So investigation day 20, there's another phone call. Yeah. And the cops called Dr. Bruce at Poison. 
And the cops are like, hey, hi, hello. Do you have a minute to talk about Dijoxin? And Dr. Bruce goes, finally, you're talking about that Somerset Medical Center, right? And the cops are like, I'm sorry, what? Dr. Bruce is like dead fucking silence on the other end of the phone. And Dr. Bruce goes, right, the murderer that they've had on their hands for a while. Like, I keep screaming about it and no one's listening. So did someone finally call you? And the cops are like, we'll be there in five minutes. (laughs) Click. (laughs) And like, this is my question of like, why isn't Poison Control calling the cops? I don't know what that, there's got to be some more red tape that we need to undo and fix. Because I can't, Dr. Bruce seems to be like on top of it. Because even if you just get, a, a cop in there to ask some questions. I mean, I guess maybe the hospitals are so powerful, you can't just, like, call the cops every time you think there's a murderer yeah. on the loose. Yeah, I, they don't get into why months and months were going by. Because tr- at one point, Dr. Bruce is like, yeah, three months went by and I didn't hear anything. And finally, the cops... And it's kind of like, Dr. Bruce, I know you're doing God's work here, but like, how do you sleep at night knowing that there's a murderer on the loose and you've told them to call the cops and you don't know if that, or maybe you assume that they have and that they just can't talk about the investigation with maybe. you? Maybe. I mean, I probably wouldn't call back the toxicologist, the person who answered poison control to say right. like, I'm on it. Yeah. So Dr. Bruce and Dr. Marcus, when the cops get to the office. Got to Dr. Marcus's office and as soon as he greeted us, he said words to the effect, where have you been? You should have been here months ago. You should have been here months ago. Right, so Dr. Stephen Marcus is the medical director of Poison Control and was from like 83 to 2016. The guy knows what he's doing. But he's also, they've got all the calls from all the nurses from, what's it called, Somerset? Yeah. And they're playing them for the detectives. The nurses are calling every week being like, people are dying of digoxin poisoning over here. Right, but Dr. Marcus says, like, the cops are like, do you know about this? And he goes, you're damn tootin'. I know. (laughs) Now, he's like, we've been trying to get people to help. Like, damn right, we'll talk to you. Now, I've only ever heard darn tootin'. Oh, yeah. I love damn tootin' and I love stick'em. Totally. I'm Listen, when you're Dr. Bruce, he's frustrated. Right. He's but... been trying to get people on this case for a long time now. Are you, I mean, I'm going on. with damn tootin' in solidarity with Dr. Bruce. Well, that was Dr. Marcus, but yes. Okay, They're great. a team, as are we. <laughs> I'm going write to write it on a stick'em and Absolutely. put it on their computer so when they come in the next day, they have a little love note. Oh. So basically, like, these recordings are the guys at Poison Control begging the hospital to call the cops. The cops saying, like, thanks for your input. Yeah. Which is not a proper response. I mean, Dr. Bruce says, I said it then, I'll say it now. The hospital was covering up. The hospital was covering it up. Absolutely. So the hospital knew the nurses were doing the right thing. They were probably reporting it to their superiors, and they're covering it the fuck up. Yeah, and so this is what Dr. Bruce, again, it's so tri-state. He says, because we, we get in again about, like, no one wants to be the murder hospital. They lose money. They have to fire people. It's much easier to sweep it under the rug. And yeah. he goes, so they figure, you know what? Let's just sweep it under the rug. And there's something about that, you know what, that is so, it's like I know I can it hear your mom. Bones. I can hear your mom saying it. No, it wouldn't be my mom. It would be it would be like someone else at the barbecue. Totally. So this can't be the first time this has happened, right? right? Obviously, the cops think it's also a cover up. They know that there's something much, much bigger at play here. Yeah. So they go back to the stick 'em note. We see his resume again, and it's staggering to see how many places he's worked and been like transferred and, like, from. Replaced. Yeah. So we, we're back to the stick 'em note. This all has to do with when he worked at St. Luke's Hospital, and we meet Pat Medellin, Nurse Pat. They're like the stick 'em basically says, "Go talk to Nurse Pat." Yeah. She knows 
Pat. Up. And Nurse Pat is just like Amy. Like, these nurses are amazing. Steve's mom is a nurse. Nice. His mother has the exact energy of all these women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She would 100% be the lady calling poison control. Right, right, right. You know? And Nurse Pat says, I knew something was wrong. Yes. I'm not afraid to talk about it. She wasn't afraid to talk about it then. And she explains, like, yeah, he was a nice enough guy. She goes, he had his oddities. But honestly, all ICU nurses are weirdos. So, like, no one cared. I was like, yeah. say more about that, Pat. I'm interested. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, it's 2002. And they're working on a small ICU team. And she says, like, whatever happened, she was there when he got taken out. When the hospital authorities came in and sort of, like, removed him from his position. Yeah. He was hoarding medicine. And he was doing it, like, in a way that anybody could find. And they did find out. And they just, like, allowed him to resign. With, like, an amazing recommendation. Yes. And, like, that's the whole thing. Like, St. Luke's is a U.S. top 100 rated hospital that was still expanding. They had a bond rating out for a, a whole new campus at the time to borrow money to do the construction. They had to report any potential lawsuits, and that was their focus, that they didn't want to be penalized. They didn't want to lose money. So they just move him on to the next place. And Nurse Pat stresses again that a lot, if not most of these people that the killer murdered were totally fine. Or they were on the mend. But let, yeah, let's get the new wing. Yeah. Can't we do both? <laughs> right, I know. The thing is, too, like, Pat does everything right. She calls her manager. This is after Charlie's been fired. She's like, I'm sure he was killing people. Her manager says back to her, we're sure that he's not. We looked into it, and it's not that. So then Pat's got a friend who's a police captain. I can only imagine the frustration of being Pat calling her friend friend being like, you're my last resort. Yeah. I don't know what else to do. I know he's killing people. I've done the math. Yeah. I've told my superiors. They don't believe me. And so, like, it gets quietly and, and anonymously reported to the cops. And then, like, Pat tells the story that one day the powers that be at St. Luke's call all the nurses into a meeting and say, hey, we know one of you reported us to the cops for, like, covering up murders. Yeah. The cops have closed the case and decided that we didn't do that. And who, whichever one of you did that almost cost us the new wing. That right there is intimidation. That is putting yeah, all the right. nurses on notice. Don't even bother because yeah. no one's going to listen to you. And I know I'm oversimplifying by saying, why can't two things be true at once? Yeah. Because all the liabilities and it's it's a nightmare. I totally get that. And they make this point at the end that at the end of the day, the hospital, by dismissing him with like recommendations so that they don't have to like deal with not getting their loans or whatever. Right. At the end of the day, the hospital is looking out for the murderer and not for the patients who come there because they're sick. Right. You know what I That's mean? That's what I mean. When you simplify it to that term, they are more concerned with making sure the murderer gets what he needs so that they don't lose what they want. Yeah, it's all about them. And it's just like, oh, there's a murderer I on mean, the loose. And the then everyone's mad at Nurse Pat for messing up the new wing. Exactly. Nurse the Pat. fact that we live in a society that doesn't prioritize just basic right to healthcare. I know. You know? Well, according to Commander Tim and Detective Danny, that shit's not going to work anymore. No. They're, that shit stops here. <laughs> it's not going to let it slide because they're realizing all of this, they're putting this timeline together. They're talking to all these people like Nurse Pad and whatever who are like not afraid to yeah. tell their story. And it's getting to the point where the hospital is lying to them in a criminal way the cops, they go back to Somerset and they say they want to look at the Pixis transactions. So the Pixis machine is like what the nurses have to like punch a code into and then they get dispensed whatever medicine they need to administer to their patients. Right. And that fucking woman, Mary Lund, yeah. L-U-N-D. Risk management. The risk management officer lies to the cops. She informed me that the Pixis only held information up to 30 days. I actually contacted the manufacturer in California the representative was shocked. They said all data needed was retrievable. 
from the unit. They call the manufacturer who laughs in their faces. They're like, of course. that you get that, this at any time, at any time. Of course. Like, can, can you imagine making that machine and being like, let's only keep it for 30 days? Yeah, it only works on Wednesdays at noon. Right. <laughs> what is the security but surveillance like, video? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so Detective Danny walks right in and he's like, hey, so if you don't give us what we're asking for, we're going to get the FBI in here to do a full analysis. And hey, guess what? Suddenly Mary Lund's like, oh, Mary I just needed Lund. to press this button. I, Mary Lund, how do you sleep at night? Right. But they end up getting the information. They just have to threaten them with the FBI, and they yeah. finally get the info. So they get this information that tracks the following. It tracks the killer. It tracks the medicines he was using, who yes. was getting those drugs, when they were getting them. But first things first, we got to get this guy away from patients. Right. So they go through his resume and then go to the hospital, and they're like, find something here, some inconsistency that you can use to fire and him. And his, like, job application or whatever. Exactly. And shockingly, they did it. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. Same. Well, I think at this point they know that, like, <laughs> these detectives are onto them, Mary Lund has lied to their faces 10 times. Mary Lund. And so Amy is there when Charlie gets led out of the building. Again, this like we get these stories over and over and over again. These nurses watching this guy that they love and trust. And they're, they can't believe it. They are outraged. Everyone's up in arms. Like, what happened? This is so ridiculous. It's like, oh, it's like a little discrepancy on the application. Who cares? He's right. so great. Like, they're so mad. And honestly, when you're a nurse and, like, you are literally thinking, I work 15 hours a day. I'm away from my kids. All I care about is, like, saving these people's lives. I'm underpaid. I'm underappreciated. Yeah. And now you're going to fire my friend because of, of one discrepancy on his resume? And because they had to find something right. that was sort of like a little benign or so, you know, like just it didn't, of course, it just made people furious. Yeah. So it's investigation day 27. The killer isn't at the hospital. So the cops start interviewing coworkers. But there was a uh, request from the hospital that went through my upper chain of command that a hospital administrative representative would be present. As it turned out, Mary Lund was the representative who sat in Mary Lund, she insists on being in every fucking meeting. Mary Lund, take lunch, girl. So people, what this means is that people were scared to talk and cooperate and be honest right. because they'd get fired. Like, there These was an intimidation tactic. Like, if you've ever had any kind of corporate job, you know who Mary Lund is. Uh -huh. There's been a Lund at every one of your fucking right. jobs. You can't be honest. Nothing ever gets better because the Mary Lunds of it all. Ooh. I know. Sorry. I hate her. <laughs> I just, I hope this woman got a hundred phone calls the day this documentary came out. And they're like, Mary! A thousand. Yeah. A hundred. We could do better than that, people, right? <laughs> no, Mary Lund does not have a thousand friends. No. Oh, Absolutely no. Oh, I not. thought you meant just like people Googling her. God. And like <laughs> tracking her down and yelling at her. So Nurse Amy is one of the people who's sitting down like with Mary Lund, right? Yeah. And the cops. But she's pissed and she's like fiercely defending her friend. Right. And she admits that she was coached by Mary Lund. Yeah. And I think because she is like, defending her friend in front of Mary Lund. Mary Lund is like, you know what? I actually am going to take lunch. Lund gets fucking up and walks out. And so Detective Danny, the one who was who threatened Mary Lund with the FBI, the new guy who wants to make a name for himself, yeah, yeah. he sits down and interviews Amy. He got good vibes from Amy. Yeah. Well, like, he was there with Mary Lund, and, like, then she leaves, and now he knows she's got an opening. And so they're alone, Detective Danny and, and Nurse Amy. And Danny shows Nurse Amy all of the information they have on the medicine, and Amy can't deny it now. Yeah. And her demeanor totally changes and she starts remembering things. Yeah. And she's putting pieces together. And there were times where she realizes now, sitting in this room, that she walked in on the killer murdering people. I remember being at the nurse's station. I saw a patient go into VTAC. I, I got to the room. 
and Charlie was already with this patient. And Charlie was injecting the patient. She runs into the room and Charlie's in there with a syringe injecting something into the guy's IV bag. Right. And she's like, what is that? And he's like, it's lidocaine. And she, like, in her mind, like, it's all happening so fast. Yeah. But she's like, why would you put in lidocaine? Like, he, he doesn't need, like, what? What? So then the doctor shows up and is like, who ordered lidocaine? Amy takes the fall for Charlie. She's like, I did. And the doctor looks at her and is like... He is allergic to lidocaine. She almost took the fall for him. She took the fall for him, but she also, she lied for him. She lied for him. She should have been asking questions. Like when yeah. you walk in and you see your colleague doing something you know doesn't need to be done or shouldn't be. And I'm sure he said, I didn't know he was allergic. I'm sure in the moment, you know, if he, if she even asked him, he would have had an answer. I guess. But Detective Danny knows he's getting to Amy, right? Yeah. So he mouths the words, yeah. will you help me? And I kind of love that moment because she's like, yes. Yeah. I feel like she sees it all it's written on paper she's going back she her memories and she's like fuck like I haven't I have a responsibility because her responsibility is to the patients and she takes that so seriously it's the first thing she said to us in this documentary right. you know oath. come on yeah and she also like must now be thinking my friend got let go from here but he could get another job any day he'd be back with patients anytime right so now it's investigation day 48 and it's the day after the Amy interview and now Amy the thing is Amy speaks a certain language that only people in the medical field work because she can read the paperwork so like And translate it. Exactly. The detectives can get the paperwork, but they don't know what it means. It's always, it's so helpful to have someone in the room like that. Totally. But when she sees the paperwork, she can see what he's doing. He's going to that machine that dispenses the drugs. So he would go in under a patient's name. He would push digoxin. The drawer would pop open. And he would take some medicine. Then he would cancel that particular interaction. He's getting poisonous, life-ending drugs and then just canceling out the transactions. Right. And, like, now it's worse than she ever could have imagined. Yeah. Now that she's She's working. She's seeing, like, the volume of it. Like, it was bad when they slid the paper across the desk in that interview, but now that she's actually seeing, it's not just that he's killing people. It's just, like, how calculating it is. But also how obvious it is. And my thing is, like, so if you could just, like, if you're a nurse or anybody with access to that machine, you can order, like, the poison and then just hit cancel and no one ever checks that. Right. you think that if there's like a certain number of cancels under a certain like, person's yes. ID that would flag somebody yes. fucking why somewhere? You, right. Why are you doing that? Why have we made a system that you can like, you can literally murder people and get away with it? Yeah. And meanwhile, while she's having this is all happening at Amy's I was house, just gonna say. and while this is happening with her talking to the cops, her fucking phone rings. Guess who it is? Mary L U N D Lund <laughs> from Risk Management. As she, again, they're in the living room, like the pot of coffee's on. You know, whatever they're like I getting. Do, I'm imagining Lund across the street in a fucking van with a pair of binoculars. Uh-huh. You know, what some I mean? ill-fitting pantsuit, probably <laughs> some like bad bun. You know who she kind of looks like to me in yeah, my head? Please, I don't know anything that she looks please. like, but she's a little. A little bit like Meryl Streep in the second season of Big Little Lies. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit where you're like no. too not fun at all. Don't know. Defending a murderer. Absolutely not. Or defending yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. So anyway, again, they're in the living room, papers all over the place. Amy's translating the phone rings. It's Mary Lund to say, hey, girl. <laughs> you haven't talked to the cops Quick since favor. I saw you last have you. Good. And don't. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, I could just see Amy like looking around. She's doing but exactly I mean, that in that moment. I would be terrified. Fucking Lund is calling. Like, she must know. You and know what I mean? And the cops are like, 
hold on, like picking off the phone. Mary Lynn is like, is someone else on the line? No, Mary, Amy shut puts her up. On speaker, right? I know. Like that's, but that's actually what's happening, yeah. right? So, but then uh, I hesitate to say this. What? I love Nurse Amy, and me I too. know, th- I know the point that she's about to make. Yeah, the way it was made took me out of this for a right. minute. Yeah, because. She is saying that before she makes the decision to save lives and uh-huh. catch a murderer. I needed to talk to my daughter. It had to be a family decision. So when she came home from school, we sat down. She needs to talk to her 11-year-old daughter. <laughs> she needs sign-off from the 11-year-old. Because then she says this needs to be a family decision. Right. And she's like, mommy has a decision to make, sweetie. Uh-huh. That's a quote from Amy. And that's fine. Like, talk to your kids. I'm not saying. Yes. But yes. the point that she's trying. Also, isn't that too old for an 11-year-old to talk to them like that? Uh, I talk to every kid to like know. they're 40. So right. maybe it's maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> but, like, what Amy's trying to say is that her 11-year-old daughter has better character than risk management Mary. Yes. Because the daughter, she tells the story to say that the daughter's like, mom, you have to do this. Yes. But Amy, you knew that before you spoke to the daughter. One hundred. What if her eleven year old had been like, "Mom, it's not your problem." Right, like, mom, <laughs> you like raised a real shitty kid. Like, yeah. and I didn't know where it was going. Yeah, 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 and I yeah. thought we could make that point. And again, no shade to Amy or her kid. Like, right. no one did anything <laughs> wrong here. Right. Yeah. It just, I was kind of like, oh, where are we going with this? It was a weird way of. It was a weird way of juxtaposing the eleven year old sentiment with right. Mary fucking Lund. And like, it's tell no me sh- Mary Lund got the death penalty. Like, where is she? <laughs> it's no shock to me that like Amy's cool 11-year-old daughter is a better person than Mary Lund. Totally. That doesn't surprise me at yeah. all. I support it. Nurses can only raise great kids. Am I wrong? Um, Yeah, look at Steve. I mean, Steve and his siblings. You know? Like, you did good, Judy. I know right? you listen. Hi, girl. Hey, girl. Um, Please don't get mad at me about the Amy thing. It just, we no, had a lot of momentum. Me or Judy. Anyone else who's not in this room. <laughs> I know you no. won't get mad at me because you understand what I'm trying to I say. I totally do. And so, because it felt like we had so much momentum. The cops were there. She was explaining things. She realizes it's worse. Mary calls. And yeah. then it's like, let's consult the kid. And I'm like, we know that's the decision that needs to be made. A hundred percent. Thank you. Yeah, you've Moving been heard. On. You've Moving been heard on. and seen. Thank you so much. So Amy agrees to allow the cops to record her conversations with Charlie Cohen. What's crazy is that this is all happening. They have, like, investigation day this, day that. We're at, yeah. like, day 49, then day 50, then day 52. Things are moving fast. I, I'm also like, Amy, don't you also have to go to work? Like, there's, there's a lot happening in Amy's right, life. Right, because you know you can't call out of work because Mary Lund will oh, sniff God. that out in a second. <laughs> totally. She's got to keep it all. You know what Mary I mean? Mary Lund, She can't oh make any, any, like, sudden movements. Everything has to be as it was. Yeah, it, 100%. So the cops start, it's day 50, the cops start recording Amy's conversations with the killer. And she needs to keep up the friendship to get this information because they need to make sure, one, he doesn't run, and two, he doesn't get another job to do this to more people, right? So two days after that, day 52, Amy goes, hey, fellas, where are the records from Cerner? And the cops are like, Amy, who's Cerner? And she's like, it's not a who, it's a what. (laughs) These are all the patient's records. And she says, without the Cerner printouts, it was going to be so hard to put that syringe in his hand. If we could prove one death, we got him. If you get these records, we got him. Like, it puts the syringe in his hand. Because they're like, oh, we definitely don't have those, and also we can't get them. Right. So Amy, who never misses a day of work, is going to work and printing 
out the Cerner records when no one's looking. On a, probably, again, in my head, a Xerox machine as big as this room. Totally. Very, <laughs> very loud. And I'm sure, yeah, yeah. like, you can't just start printing out 50 pages at a time. No. Mary Lund is onto you. Um, you probably, it's one of those places where when Mary Lund started there, she gave everybody a fucking copy access code. What is you, that? It just means that you have to, like, punch in a code before you can make copies so we can track how much paper Why? you're using. Oh you know, if Steve Tipton could get away with that here, he would definitely do it. Well, I, I mean, let's not get crazy. Let's, like, save the planet yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much paper are we going to waste here? Well, no, that that's, like, literally so you're not, like, photocopying your kids' homework for them. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. <laughs> Multi-zillion dollar corporations I know, I know. need to sit down. But Amy is just, like, printing. <laughs> I would be scared to death if I was, like, going up against Mary right. fucking Lund. And my, it's, like, a dark room. It it's only the light of the screen of the copy machine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amy's like looking behind her. What's that? Oh, no. Not a visual medium fan, but and, she made the scared face. And I'm hoping that like her other friends, the like nurse Nancy and all that, that they're like watching the door, they're, watching like, her back. distracting Mary Lund yeah, down hey, the hall. Yeah, Mary, like in Clueless. <laughs> like, hey, over here. Suddenly she has a coffee and like a new scarf in her glasses. They ask her if she wants to have lunch with them. It's the first time she's had lunch with another person And in Mary's like, years. no. She's just so mean. She just barks at them. <laughs> but she's like stressed the hell out, Amy, yeah. because she's risking everything. But she gets everything they need. And so now Amy and the cops are like cross-referencing and making timelines. Like real like old school detective work. Yeah, but even now that they've got like all of these, all of the paperwork and everything, they're saying that still isn't probably going to be enough for a jury. They quote, need a body. So what they need is they need to like one of the bodies that they know that he killed. They need to get digoxin levels to prove he was the last nurse to work on this patient. They died of a digoxin overdose essentially. They go back to the sister of the priest and they're like girl he's the best bet is what they're thinking yeah we got to exhume him and the sister is she's like i said there's not a problem i you know i will give you my consent i remember her telling me that her brother uh, spent his whole life helping people and now even in death he has the opportunity to uh, help people as well and now in death he gets to keep helping people fucking love these people i know right so Guess what? They exhume the body and they find yeah. a ton of digoxin in there. And they change the manner of death to homicide. To yes. which I say, great, can we get the guy now? No, 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 no. Because juries like evidence they can see. Yeah. So we need something tangible. They're saying we need a syringe or a contaminated IV bag. And then this is when we get another 50 minutes of Amy talking about like, oh my God, learning that he was like, not just like, you know, like with the mom, he like injected it into her thigh, like directly yeah. into her. So like that was one way. But another way he would do it was injecting it into the IV bag so it would happen more slowly. And Amy is saying she feels complicit because she's like, he would inject the the digoxin into the IV bags, but I would be the one actually putting the, the bags into the patients. Right. So he's also like implicating other people. But I'm also like, Amy, let yourself off the hook, honey. Like yeah. you didn't do anything wrong here. In fact, you're doing all the right stuff now. You right, know what you're I mean? doing it's all the right fault. stuff now. And like if part of her job is to connect the IV, she just trusts that exactly. a fellow nurse would put the right stuff in the IV bag. You know, it's not that's not on her. No. So it's day six. 60. The killer gets a new job, which is a fucking nightmare because now he's going to kill more people. Exactly. We're out of time. Right. Amy goes to dinner with the killer and wears a wire. Oh my God. But if they go to the busiest joint in New Jersey. <laughs> it's happy hour. It's 
so loud. It, like, it really is, like, the weirdest thing. Also, Amy says when she shows up, her best friend, Charlie, and her hug for the very first time. They've never, she's like, we hugged for the very first time. And she was is afraid. That right? That's what she said. And she was afraid that he was going to feel the pack on her back. I would be scared to death. Yeah. Like, if I ever have to wear a wire, please don't do anything that makes me have to wear a wire in conversation with you. Okay. Like, no problem. <laughs> I, would be, I would just be so scared. Like, this guy's killed so many people. He's going to pick up the fucking butter knife and take her out right there at the table. We need to do better with how the wire pack. A million percent. It's got to be smaller I now, I think. <laughs> right. Everything Bluetooth or whatever. Like, And especially with us, you can just have a mic on and I wouldn't know. I know, that's like, true. Like, you can easily record me if you wanted to. But Amy, who's like scared to death, sits down... There's no small talk. She's like, Charlie, what'd you do? She's like, what happened to Father Gall? Totally. And she's confronting him because yeah. now she knows like he's about, he got a new job. Like yeah. he's going to, this, this cycle is going to start over again and she wants it to end. So in the middle of this, she's like, I'm not stupid. What happened? Charlie, what happened? I know you can't. I see you and I'm not stupid. Let me help you. And then the wire itself went dead on us. The fucking wire goes dead. It just breaks. Now, this doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm sorry. The cops here that we kind of like in this case, you are putting Amy in mortal danger. Yes. And you, like, you have a faulty, that, like, if, that, everyone should go to jail. It just everyone goes dead. Everyone should go to jail. It's, I don't understand. Like, how do you, like, how does that happen? And I know that they have to go to dinner because, like, a walk in the park maybe wouldn't be what they've done. Uh-huh. But can we not go to the busiest restaurant in New Jersey but at 5.30 on a Friday when it's so give, loud? Can you put two wires on her? You're going to let I the wire go dead in the what if he gave a full confession well he doesn't right <laughs> they save that for later about the wire going dead as I need you to be I'm pretty bad I think okay. like of all the like we this guy it's been <laughs> right. happening for years can you just put the right batteries in I it don't. can you charge it till the light turns green <laughs> I mean honest to like, god can you just there's I, double honestly, A's I'm if sure I can of get it. one of those head mics for my book party tour that can last the entire hour I need it to last right. why can't they get this one to last for 10 minutes I don't understand at it at a diner I don't get it happy hour New Jersey here we are <laughs> <laughs> so Amy has to tell us the rest because we don't have any audio. And even if we did have audio, we wouldn't hear it anyway because it's happy hour. Because we did hear some of the audio, you can barely understand it. So when she's like, she says, look, I know you did this. Let's talk about it. And according to Amy, the killer changes completely. She's like, it's not that he was a monster. It was just emptiness. Yes. Like just everything left him. And the way she describes it is visceral. Like you can see her seeing it again. Right. And the killer says, I want to go down fighting. Right. So he does, kind of. So the cops arrest him for the murder of Reverend or Father Gall, right? Yeah. He won't talk to the cops. He's in the fetal position. He won't say a word. The cops are like, we need Amy in here again. Because he started being honest with her. Right. So they bring Amy downtown and basically, like, they bring him in in shackles. Yeah. And, like, the fucking prison footwear, whatever it's called. And she's like... Shoes? (laughs) Prison footwear. Sure. (laughs) And they bring him in and they sit her down. Now, Amy has not been coached about what to do here. She's just, like, kind of flying by the seat of her pants. She decides to tell Charlie, she's like, I gotta nail this guy. I gotta nail him right fucking now. And she's like, my life, as I know it, is about to end because I'm being implicated. You get to be my hero today. You get to do that. You do. You gotta tell me what you did because now they're trying to pin it on me. Amy! 
me. And because of what they're you they're trying to take advantage of their friendship and relationship. Yes. And maybe because he started talking to her once and they have this bond that's yep. kind of unbreakable and I unknowable. Just thought, like in the moment, Amy just comes up with that on her so own. Smart. Oh my God. So great. And so he's like, oh shit, okay. So he just starts telling Amy everything. Yeah. And immediately the Amy's like, like, get her out of there, get her out of there, get her out of they there. They switch it up. Yeah. Amy's out, the cops are in. So he because he admits to her, he's like, I did it. It's yeah. the dijoxin. You were right the whole time. Now that the cops are in, he just keeps confessing again and again. One of the cops goes, we were not prepared for the journey he took us on. I mean, holy that shit. Is just, like, he just starts talking and just doesn't stop. But this is also where he just starts the narrative of, I just wanted to help and right. put people out of their misery. Right. Like, it's a proven lie. People exactly. were actively feeling better and on the mend or going to rehab facilities to get better. I mean, like, give me a break. They, get, they bring Nurse Pat back in the end to be like... Some of the drugs he was using to kill people were paralytics, meaning he would like paralyze you in your own body and watch you die. Essentially, he is telling the guy he's crying, saying, "I just want to put people out of pain. I was there to be a mercy killer. I was keep your tears, you fucking monster." He was paralyzing people and then watching them slowly die. And she's describing like they were awake, they were aware, they knew what was happening. Holy shit! Can you imagine? Yeah, this is like this will fuck you up. The story. Oh my god. Oh my god. So now, you know, it's all over the news because he's arrested. They think he he's like, I think I killed maybe like 40 people. We yeah. learned that that's like not even close to the number. They, I mean, in the end, we get the on-screen text that says the authorities think he may have killed up to 400 people. Yeah. But I mean, before we even get there, they sit him in like now he's just going through the court process, essentially. Right. right? And ultimately, he's sitting in court in front of the it's victim's like, family. It's like the victim, like the family's impact statement. And they're all getting up there making speeches. And he it's just he can't look at them. And they call him out. They're like, you don't even have the guts to look us in the what, eye. He's just like. A, he's like a shell of a fucking monster. Like he's what just a, a waste monster. of a human life. What a waste of a person. It, it's crazy. And, and then he says to the judge at one point, like, I'm not going to contest these charges. I'm going to plead guilty. I don't need representation. I mean, like, at the end of the day, he knows enough to know that he needs to be, like, locked in a fucking cage and the key thrown away forever. Yes. So... He signs a deal, no death penalty, but in exchange for full participation in the investigation to, like, get to the bottom of this. Yeah. So now we meet Dennis Miller, who's the CEO and president of Somerset Medical Center. And I'm like, wow, that's two Dennis Millers who suck. What are the odds? (laughs) Holy shit. Good one, GP. Well, you and Katie Couric agree because he's on Katie Couric. Do you take any responsibility for this? Absolutely not. We take responsibility for, for investigating this guy and for having leading to his arrest. I'm extremely proud of Dr. Kors and Mary Lund, who led the investigation at our hospital, with the first hospital to identify him and lead him to his arrest and capture. But could you have done a more thorough background check yourself? Absolutely not. You know what the problem is? He's like, yes, Katie, I'm happy to take responsibility for being a hero. (laughs) I investigated the killer. I'm going to stop to this. And Katie Kirk's like, what? Like, no, you didn't. I know. And like, he's basically saying because like he got stopped working for us, we are the heroes because we stopped him. Meanwhile, somebody find fucking Mary Lund. I want I Katie Kirk to have a couple of questions for her. What newspaper do you read, Mary Lund? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> um, so what founding question- father? Name, name a single founding father, Mary Lund. It's the best question Katie it's Kirk's ever asked. So what newspaper do you read? <laughs> but this is when Katie Kirk is like, yeah, no, that's not what I meant. Like, couldn't you have done a better background check? Yeah. Because you want all the credit for, like, this was the last hospital he was in a murderer at. Right. But right. he got, <laughs> right. he got to you 
Because he was there. He was at nine other facilities before you. This guy is also right. He's kind of like, everyone just passed him on. Everyone just passed him on. They tried. They would have had the police not zeroed in on him there. They would have done the same thing. Right. They would have found out that he was killing people. They would have moved him on to somewhere else. And they tried not to cooperate. Of course. Remember that internal investigation that was supposed to be three binders and it was two pages? It was a memo. Mary Lund is lying about like how much information the the machines tracked. No one wanted to blow the lid off this thing. So Charles. Except for Amy. Yeah, right. So Charles, the author, is here. He's the guy who wrote the book. about this thing and he's sitting in a bar desperately needs a cocktail (laughs) but he says he ends with like a lot of truth here because he's like people were asking why didn't he get caught and the answer turns out to be he was over and over and over again and those that caught him or had reason to suspect that something was wrong um, they passed him on with positive or neutral references and he always found another job that's the scandal and he's like, yeah, this asshole will die in prison. Great. Right. But, like, what about the people and the institutions that allowed this to happen? He's saying that's the scandal. That's like, it. Obviously, like, he killed a bunch of people and that, like, we have to care about that. But the scandal is how he was allowed to kill all these people. Like, they're not being held responsible. And he says the institution of private for-profit health care, they weren't protecting their patients. Right. They weren't actually providing care. Right. Because if they let all these people die, they weren't caring for them. Exactly. So at the end, he admits to the murder of 29 people patients and the attempted murder of six or more. He was sentenced to 18 consecutive life sentences in March of 2006. But experts say, like you said, he killed over 400 people. 400 people, which would make him the most prolific serial killer in American history. Can I ask you a question about the word prolific? Yeah, I know. Just it your opinion like a good of thing. it. It yeah. does sound like it, a, I might. Okay. I'm not proud of you for doing so much. It sounds like an accomplishment. It do, exactly. And I know the definition of it just means like a lot. Yeah. But it sounds like a couple. It, do, it does sound I'm like I'm glad a, I'm not yeah. alone on that. Okay, great. I, I, I just, have the same thought, I actually. just wanted to ask you, yeah. like, can we not use that word? That's such a terrible thing. I so agree. the hospital, you know, we fully investigated Charles Cullen and no one's, you know, found any evidence and blah, 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 blah. But following his confession in 2003, Somerset Medical Center and other New Jersey hospitals supported the passage of the Cullen Law, yeah. which means that healthcare providers have to report to the state any kind of impairment or incompetence or misconduct that could affect patient safety. And they also have to report that to future employers. Now, is that just Jersey or can we expand this a little bit? I know. I know. I mean, and like Because now I'm going to Jersey for anything, <laughs> except that time I cut my finger and needed something to happen immediately. Oh, my God, girl. We did Catching the Killer Nurse. Capturing. Yeah. Capturing. Oh, God. The same thing. Holy moly. Amy, I hope you're thriving. Ooh. Mary Lund, I hope you're I in hope prison. You're I, I hope, hope you're not. I hope you're not. Amy, private. I Mary Lund, hard no. <laughs> Dr. Bruce, give me a call. My God. Just stick him. Fam, come and see us on tour, please. We're covering the jinx in case we haven't made that oh, clear. Oh, yeah, sure. Opening night in Boston at the Wilbur on June 2nd, less than two months from now, girl. Oh, shit. We're making opening night a blowout, Boston. I hope you show up like you always do. Oh, we love you, the Wilbur. I can't wait. I love the Wilbur I love so much. The Wilbur. So then we're on to Charlotte, then Denver, then Chicago. By the way, Chicago, the Vic is almost sold out. <gasps> Washington, D.C., Seattle, Los Angeles, and then Town Hall. Town Thank Hall, you. where we're doing our closing night on August 26th. We're bringing back our Broadway dancers. Yep. We're making it a big freaking party. That's we're bringing true. our Broadway director. Freaking party. Big freaking party. <laughs> Come see us. Covering the jinx. We're making it right now. I am laughing my head off, like, yeah. making this live show with we, you. Uh, <laughs> I had some, yeah, we, our notes have been... 
It's been combined. <laughs> it's been compiled. Yep, I uh, mentioned The Sopranos a lot, so hopefully you'll see some of that. Also, fam, come see me on my book tour. I got a bunch more shows I'm doing. I want to call out the London show. I'm going to be in London on Friday, August 4th at 8 p.m. <gasps> okay. Um, Hannah and Sruthi from Red Handed are going to come and oh, hang out. I yay. know. Come see us. I, I think there's like 50 tickets left to that show. You can find the rest of the dates I'm doing at patrickfails.com. Just click on the See Me Live link. Okay. What are we doing next, girl? Oh, my God. What is we it? We are doing an episode of 48 Hours called The Bugs Bunny Defense. Do you know about this case? <laughs> no. It's no. basically 42 minutes of people talking like Elmer Fudd. Why? Because it's The Bugs Bunny Defense. Okay. It all has to do with like Warner Brothers cartoons. And the, Holy the, shit, The defense really? is I shot my husband because I was doing an impression of Elmer Fudd. No. No. And she does the impression of Elmer Fudd the entire time. <laughs> no. And the cops do the impression and the lawyer. Everyone is talking like Elmer Fudd. It is... <laughs> Ridiculous. It was written, it was meant, it was made for us to cover. I've told like 30 people to watch it. Oh my God. Like in my in my real life, I was like, are you doing anything right now? Do you have like 42 <laughs> minutes to spare? Can I send you this episode of 48 Hours so I can talk to you about it? Oh, fam. All right. Stay tuned for the trailer for that. Our funny and hilarious outtakes, I hope. I hope. I, I hope, hope they're very Lund-centric. Oh, fuck her. Fuck her. All right, fam. We love you. We love you. Bye. Bye. You have to understand, Pat and I joke around a lot with each other. She said, we have this thing that we always do. We morph into cartoon characters. And I'm car- sorry, they, they what? They morph into cartoon characters. What's up, Jack? There was a Bugs Bunny cartoon with Elmer Fudd, and he does this silly little Elmer Fudd voice, no more bullets. No more bullets. And she said she began to talk to him in her Elmer Fudd no, voice. No more bullets. And she said she wanted to impress him. And she walked over and picked the gun up. No more bullets. No more bullets. You told me there was no bullets in the gun. Well, I don't believe she could have fired it in the manner she said she did. <laughs> it was right there. I wanted to believe her story. It's not a, a believable story. I had that gut feeling there was something more sinister. Notice that your shirt has pineapples all over it. And it's so cute. <laughs> oh my god! So I bought this at Old Navy before I went on my vacation. It's somebody, so cute. somebody on Facebook asked me if I was a swinger because apparently pineapples are like a swinger. Like you wear pineapples to show that you're swingers. We're not. We're not swingers. Mary takes the fall for Charlie. Nancy. Amy. 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 Not Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are four o'clock recorders. We are recording at eleven thirty a.m. Very. Odd. I'm still asleep from yesterday. <laughs> Yeah. Any- <laughs> anyway, because we are the in- eyes you just made. It's this is what's happening. Wait, what's going on? It's going not on. even noon. I know. It's just like a piece of paper curtain, right? And so <laughs> we all know what, we all know what curtains are. Really? I think so. I mean, it's maybe not Charlie the Killer. Made of cloth. I'm thinking of the piece of paper when you go the crinkly paper, the yeah. like sanitary paper when you go into any doctor's office, and you're like, what is this really doing? Right. Um, it just makes a lot of noise and it's- makes you uncomfortable and makes you feel like. And you're always afraid you're going to rip it like, and then you do. And then you do. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like, I'm doing it wrong. I, I'm sitting wrong. I, I actually like considered like a long time ago, I wanted to be a medical advocate. Really? I wanted to be one of those people who understood, who could like translate uh-huh. between like doctors and families. That's amazing. I know. But I didn't, it's so needed. I, didn't, I did this instead. Is okay. that okay? <laughs> I mean, in a way, you're still doing it a little bit. Right? We're helping in our, We're, in our I, way. I don't know. 